0: Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. The world tells us that suffering is a thing to be avoided. That we should do everything in our power to get comfortable, to be well-dressed, to have no transportation struggles to have all kinds of creature comforts. If you think about it, all of civilization is one big distributed suffering mitigation project. We have shared infrastructure for the common good so that we can have clean water, so that we have plumbing, so that we can electricity out here in rural areas And so much more, right? Pharmacies are built all over the place. So you don't have to have too long of a drive to go and get medicines that you need. That's a big part of what people just do instinctively in cultures all over the world. Suffering is to be avoided. So in first, in first Peter, when St. Peter, our church's namesake says, suffering is good. It's a gracious thing in the sight of God to suffer. That maybe takes a little finessing, a little explanation. He says, enduring sorrows while suffering unjustly is gracious in the sight of God. Now, right off the bat, I want to make clear, sometimes we suffer. If you, if you were part of our Facebook group and you saw this live video that I posted on Wednesday this week with the Hymn of the Day preview. I mentioned this, and I'll I'll say it again here. Sometimes we suffer because we're dumb. Sometimes we suffer the consequences of us being foolish, of us being jerks. Sometimes we just sin, and we suffer consequences for it. And that's not what Peter is saying is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It's also not a gracious thing in the sight of God to um, declare yourself a moral or Christian crusader and get on social media or the Facebook comments section or YouTube or Twitter or whatever it might be, <coughs> chain emails or, you know, take, take a stand, right? Lutherans were kind of predisposed to having a Martin Luther moment ourselves. Here I stand, I can do no other. Except for we're not Martin Luther. And Martin Luther was still a sinner just like all of us. So you don't get to claim religious persecution. I'm suffering for being a Christian when you are just a jerk and you're claiming the name of Jesus. while you're doing it. If you're, if, if you or I are acting in an unchristian way and people call us out on it, um, that's not what Peter has in mind here, that it's noble to suffer while doing good. So, And what is Peter talking about? So far, I've spent three and a half minutes talking about what Peter is not aiming at. Peter gives us the example of Jesus. He says, God has called us to do good, even if it means suffering. So we're not supposed to seek suffering out. What we're supposed to seek out is doing good. Before this reading in 1 Peter, he says in chapter 2, verse 9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter's not writing to pastors, he's writing to you. He's writing to the church. You are God's chosen people. And he has formed you into a people of his own possession, he's made you a kingdom of priests, of prophets. So that you may proclaim his excellencies who called us all out of darkness into that marvelous light by the gospel. When you do that and suffer for it, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Peter says, Christ suffered unjustly. So we're just following in our master's footsteps when we suffer for doing good. And he says it like this. You can follow along on the back of your bulletin if you'd like. The readings aren't super long today, so it's actually printed in kind of a big font. Isn't that nice? This starts at verse 21. For to this you have been called. To this, he is saying, suffering, enduring sorrows unjustly while doing good. He says, you've been called to this. This shouldn't be a surprise. This is what God did. When he saved you through Jesus, he called you to this life because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And now he explains why it was, how it was that Jesus suffered unjustly. He says he committed no sin. So any suffering that Jesus did was unjust because he didn't deserve any of it. He goes on to say when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. He didn't um, refuse to be a doormat. You know, he didn't he didn't muscle up in kind of a Christian masculine way. When he was reviled, he didn't pay it back in kind. When he suffered. He did not threaten. Can you imagine how. The sweetness of the gospel might be soured a bit If from the cross, Jesus was hurling threats at the people instead of saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus suffered and did not threaten. But what he did do, Peter says, is he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus didn't give up on the hope of vindication. He didn't give in to despair. He didn't think, oh, this is pointless and meaningless. Because he trusted the just judge. He didn't try to get even. He didn't act in order to preserve his life or to preserve his honor. He didn't try to correct the record from the cross or correct the record in his, you know, sham trials. Oh, that's, that is nice, isn't it? It brightens up in here. What a room. What a church. Peter puts a very fine point on this. He says it this way. He himself bore in his body our sins on the tree. He is not giving us any way out of recognizing Jesus suffered. He didn't bear our sins in some ephemeral kind of um, fictitious legal sense. No, he suffered for you. He suffered unjustly because he didn't commit the sin. He patiently endured the suffering, not trading threat for threat or curse for curse, and he did it so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. If that sounds familiar to you. That's a quote from Isaiah. By his stripes, we are healed. He was, we considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's that Good Friday reading from Isaiah. And Peter is quoting that here to make this point that Jesus' unjust suffering and the sorrows he endured were a real bodily suffering that is an example for us as we follow in his footsteps, as we live the life that God has called his holy people to, his chosen race, the royal priesthood, a people of his own possession, so that the gospel may go out to the world. You were called out of darkness. Into Jesus' marvelous light. And God wants to use you. To call others out of darkness. Into Jesus' marvelous light. And one of the big ideas. Maybe the big idea here from this text in 1 Peter 2. Is that that is not always comfortable. But that's how God's redemption works. Suffering. Suffering. Born for the sake of others. In love. Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. You are my servants. A servant is not greater than her master. Than his master. Now, how does this connect to Good Shepherd Sunday? Well, right at the end here, Peter says... That we were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now, I have it on good authority that sheep are really dumb. I see some nods out there. Thank you, Nick. And guess what? You're sheep. At least the Bible tells you so. It also tells you things like Jesus loves you. This, you know, for the Bible tells you so, but the Bible says we're sheep and sheep, unfortunately are dumb, but that's okay. Because if we're talking between, you know, if the comparison is between us and God, yes, right. That is a superior intellect, superior wisdom. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. As far as the East is from the West. That's what God says. We're like dumb sheep straying away from the safety of our shepherd's care. But because Jesus endured hostility patiently, because he entrusted himself to the just judge, we have been returned to our good shepherd. It's a weird mix of images, right? Jesus talks about leaving the 99 to go after the one. Carrying that sheep home. And we sang that. Perverse and foolish oft I strayed but yet in love he sought me. How many of you have lost something and been annoyed about it? Thanks, Merle. That's the last time he raises his hand in church. (laughs) He probably didn't think I was going to call him out by name. Jesus is not annoyed that he had to find you. Jesus is not put out with you. Jesus came to save you because he loves you. Yet in love, he sought me and on his shoulder, gently laid. Like every, every turn of phrase in this poetry is so beautiful because Jesus, when he found us again, right? If you were annoyed, if you were frustrated, he wouldn't have to gently lay us on his shoulders. He could have just whacked, you know? Kicking the pants. Let's go. When we get home, we're going to talk about this. You know. I've said that. Maybe you've said that too. He gently laid us on his shoulders. And home rejoicing brought me. Peter said, we have returned. Now we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. It's not that we decided, oh, let, yeah, let's go back. Let's make a decision for Jesus. I d- I'm going to wander back home. No, it's Jesus' suffering that he endured without deserving it, for your sake, because he loves you, that has brought you home. That's how you were called out of darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord. That's what Peter has in view in this letter. He's writing to the church who is suffering in ways that we probably don't have categories for. the loss of income, the loss of life, the loss of status. We are probably going to start to see that more and more in this country. There was a time, I mean, I'm no historian, but there was a time when kind of the civil religion, the median kind of public attitude was a little bit closer. On that Venn diagram, there was more overlap between kind of public accepted cultural orthodoxy And Christendom, you might say, or Christian values, Christian morals. But in just the time, the short time that I've been an adult, it seems like, wow, that that Venn diagram that used to have a lot of overlap is now quickly diverging. And now to publicly be a confessing Christian, and I mean confessing, not, no thanks, Siri, not in the term, not in the sense of. Confessing sin and receiving forgiveness, but confessing things like um, things to do with Christian sexual ethics. Things to do with transgender ideology and the pressure to call someone something that they are not. The pressure to say certain things are okay and that we should all celebrate them. When they're contrary to created order, contrary to God's will. And I don't mean to sound like contrary to God's will, you know, one of these kind of stereotypical fire and brimstone Bible thumping preachers. But God's will, the, re- the reason that we're concerned about that is because God's will for our lives is good. Jesus loves us. Jesus wants what's best for us. He said in the gospel reading, everyone else who came before me came only to steal and kill and destroy in a couple of weeks, I'm going to preach from 1 Peter 5, where it says, The devil prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. That's what Jesus is talking about. He said, I came that they may have life and to have it abundantly. And there are things out there in our world visions of life, visions of truth, ideas about what's okay and what's not, and what should be celebrated and what should be looked on as old-fashioned and backwards and bigoted, those things are contrary to the full, abundant life that Jesus came to give us. And the more we continue to stand in the revealed truth of the Scriptures, the more we're going to find ourselves in situations like Peter is talking about. Remember, not, we, we disqualify ourselves from this suffering while doing good if we're jerks about it. But if in love and in patience we continue clinging to the gospel and to the rest of God's word, that's going to be costly. We think we're safe out here in the country. In ways that maybe if you live in Minneapolis, you're less safe. And I suppose, right, if you watch the evening news or you pay attention to crime statistics, it sure seems like, wow, there's 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 a lot of violence in the city that we're removed from out here. And this is nice, right? We live in God's country after all. I love that we call it God's country out here. And I'm not saying it's not God's country. What I am driving at is that the sin that lives in the hearts of people who commit crimes, acts of violence. I read just yesterday that somewhere in Texas, someone was out shooting a rifle in their backyard, which may or may not be like a Texas thing to do, but the neighbors went to say, hey, our, our, our baby's trying to fall asleep. Like, could you, could you not? And then they walked back to their house and, and this guy took his rifle, went to his neighbor's house and killed five people, including an eight-year-old child. What causes that is sin in our hearts and we are not safe from that. Anywhere. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. All of us are in the same boat. The same sin that causes violence, hurt, loss, and sorrow in the city lives in the hearts of us out here too. And our only hope against that is that we have a good shepherd. One who endured suffering, who endured violence and betrayal. who knew sorrow like no one has ever known. He laid down his life for us and calls us to do the same for others, trusting in the hope of the resurrection on the last day. See, we can't have this vision of this life and suffering and avoiding suffering and let's just be, you know, the, I think in some ways we've kind of adopted the way the world thinks about life and death and suffering and comfort. But the church has always understood that in this life, as long as Satan is the prince of the power of the air, as long as sin continues to live in our hearts and wages war against us, until Jesus comes back, things are not going to be okay. And so until he does, we entrust ourselves to the just judge. We don't trade revile for reviling we don't threaten when we suffer Peter says everything that Jesus did was given to us as an example because when suffering comes for Christians and it will and it perhaps has already uttering threats trying to get even is not an option it's not the way of the cross it's not the life God has called us to We patiently bear unjust suffering for the cause of the gospel, trusting in the hope of the resurrection. And I'm going to spell that out a little bit for you as we close. The hope of the resurrection is that all will be made right. That wrongs that you suffer, that God sees. That everything will be put right. Nothing is going to get swept under the rug or fall through the cracks or forgotten about. God sees. The hope of the resurrection is that justice is going to be administered perfectly. In this world, we can just punish people, basically. But there is a kind of justice that we can't imagine that brings restoration and wholeness. And God offers that, and it's promised to us. The hope of the resurrection is that our lives now of love and service to our neighbor are not lived in vain, however discouraged we may feel. However much we might want to give in to despair. It's not pointless. It's not a waste of time or a useless exercise when we could be looking out for number one a little bit more. And finally, the hope of the resurrection is that suffering that we endure is not a road to ruin. It doesn't mean we're not on the path anymore. Psalm 23, which is like the psalm of the day. What does it say about the paths that Jesus leads us on? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because he is with us. Ruin, shame, embarrassment, they're all things that Jesus suffered. And as we suffer for doing good, it means we're walking side by side with our Lord Jesus. Who loves us and gave himself for us. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. And with his blood ratified the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything you need for doing good according to his good and gracious, perfect will. To him be glory forever. Amen.